Hey guys, it's Bradley. I want to tell you about Ascend. Ascend is not just another premium finance company. Ascend will solve all of your agency bill problems through automation of invoicing, premium financing, carrier payables, all the way to the end of the workflow. There's a lot of hidden costs with how you're doing business today. AMSs, CRMs can spend more than half the day chasing down payments, following up on non-pays, getting signatures for financing docs. This leads to an overworked, overwhelmed, unhappy team. And guys, you want your team to be happy. Industry's hard enough as it is. We really need them to be happy. As your agency grows, this issue gets worse and worse. And we typically solve the problem with a little bit of software, but a ton of manpower still involved. With Ascend, you can use a software first solution and just need a little bit of manpower, allowing you to grow without significant increase in overhead. Ascend automates all of these repetitive payment processes so your team can get back to helping your clients. With Ascend, we've seen non-payment cancellations in our agency go down up to 95%. Teams save more than 20 hours per month when they work with Ascend and an average of a 75% decrease in payment-related customer questions. Guys, if people aren't calling your office with questions, you have more time to sell and grow your agency. Visit useascend.com backslash insurance, guys. Guys, Ascend makes agency bill as easy as direct bill, but you keep all of the benefits of agency bill the best of both worlds. Thanks, guys. Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast, powered by Hawksoft. Got up, Hawksoft. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for iProtect Insurance and Financial Services, based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome. He is a six foot three sophomore from Sarah Land, Alabama. Parade first team All American rivals, five star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? I'm ready for Thanksgiving. I hear you, brother. Hey, listen to this. This podcast is going to be, mark my words, the most listened to podcast in the history of the insurance community because there has never been a topic more talked about, written about, thought about, posted about than what somebody pays their people. I'm even beating on my desk over here today. I'm so freaking fired up. But if there's ever been a podcast that will be listened to, it will be today's because every single insurance agent in America wants to talk about one thing. How do you pay your people? Am I right or am I right? It's one of those things. It's so like subjective. It's like saying, what color socks do you like to wear? Like just because two people are different doesn't mean one of them's wrong. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Especially in the independent landscape. Because when you get into like State Farm and Allstate, you're going to see some more consistencies. Whereas on the indie side, I mean, it's all over the board. I worked for a $100 million agency for about a month one time. And I asked the agency principal one day, I said, let me ask you a question. How you got all these people, 30 something producers working for you. How did you land on what you pay these people on commissions? And he looked at me and he said, well, not every one of them makes something different. But he said, if you ever figure it out, you let me know. That was his response to me on that. Why was it only a month? Uh, it was when I started my career with Nationwide, and I had to be in somebody's just, office for a month. But I, I, I have some other stories today about agencies I left that go along with our topic. But guys, our mission on this podcast is to do one thing, and that is to help you people in any way that we can. And today's podcast will be the most listened to podcast we've ever had. We have got two gloriously fantastic guests that are going to be on the show today that can help you be a better agency. And we're going to be honest and open about what we pay our people today. And this podcast will be circulated around the globe probably a hundred different times. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I want to introduce to you today, he is the founder and the agency owner of Florida Risk Partners. He has also got probably the leading program for commercial insurance in the United States of America, Killing Commercial Insurance, where he has helped hundreds, if not thousands, of insurance agents make more money. 
He is also one of the hosts of the Power Producers podcast. And if you haven't heard it, you need to go listen to it because it can make you a better insurance agent. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor to introduce my brother from another mother. We were separated at birth and our documentary will be coming out on Netflix in two months. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Mr. David Carruthers. How are you, David? I'm good. I actually think last week on social media, I referenced the fact we shared a placenta for the first nine months of our life. Exactly. That is exactly right. And one thing I forgot to mention in your in your introduction today, this guy right here, ladies and gentlemen, has forgotten more about workers' comp than I know. So add that to his list of accolades. And we are humbled to have you on the show today. Always a blast, my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, my second Actually, third person that is going to talk about what he pays his people today. He is, he is a bot builder, a technology guru. He has built the agency bot that is sweeping the nation called Taco Bot. He is an agency owner. I believe he's an agency owner. I know he's a producer at Hudson Pillar Insurance. And here's one I want to talk to him about because I just saw it right before we got on this podcast referouragency.com. We got to get into that. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome my friend and great American, Mr. C.J. Huntsenpiller. How are you, C.J.? Dude, I'm fantastic. How's everything going down there in Alabama? We're doing a lot better now that we haven't had uh, 17 straight hurricanes over 17 straight weeks. It is so awesome to wake (laughs) up and it's cold and not raining. Mm. You have no freaking idea. I told Bradley before we hopped on here, it's very uh, unusual for me to be the most northern person uh, in, on a podcast. That's uh, a little strange place for me to be. I thought you were going to take the opportunity, Scott, and say CJ's forgotten more about bots than any of us know, but you didn't. <laughs> that, goes, that goes without saying. Hey, CJ, before we get started on the greatest topic in the history of insurance, Tell us about this referouragency.com that I just saw on your Facebook page. I love that so much. Yeah. So basically I just needed like a quick, easy, rememberable thing for my current customers to be able to send us referrals. So I just went online and uh, bought the domain name uh, referouragency.com. You go on there. It literally just gives you a quick little contact form for them to pass a referral to us. I'm just trying to make it easy. I love it. I love stuff like that so much. Is it something that's brand spanking new or has it been around long enough to talk about as far as how it works? Now, it's it's still relatively new. I haven't pushed it a whole lot. I think where you're referencing, I have it as like my cover photo on my right, Facebook right. page. Right. Uh, but yeah, I haven't, haven't done a ton with it. It's one of those that I went ahead and put it in place, but I haven't uh, really started diving into it yet. So CJ's doing stuff like that. And I was just so stoked Friday because I perfected getting my virtual assistant ordering my lunch for me. (laughs) (laughs) And that's not a joke at all. Well, listen, I got to tell you guys something. I have about a great million dollar idea every day, about half as many as Scott Howell has every day. (laughs) I've got 175 domains to prove it. And I've done nothing with about 165 of them. So Right. Yeah. I'm the same way. I, I'm a domain buying junkie. And I always have this romantic notion that somebody's going to call me one day from like Lowe's or Home Depot and be like, hey, would you take $100,000 for that domain? And I'm going to be like. Can I, can I tell a Scott story? Can I show a little bit of your business if you don't mind? <laughs> Go ahead. So one time I had to do some work on the insurance guy's site and Scott owns the domain for that. And he sent me his username password for GoDaddy. And I log in and I'm like, let me look at the domains he has. Because I knew he had some good ones. We've talked about some of those on the show. I think Insurance Uber is one. I was like, let me see what kind of domain. Let me, you know, I feel like looking at somebody's domain list on GoDaddy is like getting inside their head a little bit, you know. And I go on there and the very first one on there, do you know which one I'm going to say? No. The very first one on there was (laughs) insurancegranny.com. And I'm like, what in the fresh hell inspired you to buy insurance granny? I don't know. I don't know. I have, I have so many of those. It is so comical to go. I mean, it really is like diving into somebody's personal. It's like looking at their pictures on their iPhone or something. You know, it's like, okay, well, 
This is what you're, you're about. You're seeing under the hood. You're, <laughs> yeah. you're really seeing under the hood. Brad, yeah. Bradley's that guy that you don't want to babysit your kids because you got to worry if he's going to go through your wife's underwear drawer hey. when you're out of the <laughs> house. Hey, I can promise. I don't know about all that. I can promise you he doesn't want to do that at my house. I can promise you that. <laughs> hey, guys, the onus behind this podcast today, I posted a, a video that was a satire last week on Intro Suit that just absolutely blew up. People saying I was full of myself and all this other stuff. But, you know, after that post and Bradley and I talked about it, I said, we need to do a post on kind of what we page, you know, our employees. And I think we can also add Christmas bonus stuff in there as well. But uh, I hope uh, if you did see that post on Insurance Soup, it's funny. It was supposed to be funny. And uh, I I think it's a testament to how good of an actor you are <laughs> yes yes because you did a, so many people even people that listen to the podcast thought you were being serious there, yeah. there were people pissed off oh i know <laughs> i know i know let's deep dive into this today our topic of conversation what do you pay your people i want us to get deep deep into this and talk a little bit about this i'm going to start with david carruthers CJ is the only person on this podcast right now that I have not had some pretty deep conversations about this with. David, let's start with you. Let's talk a little bit about what you pay your people and how you make those decisions relative to what you're going to pay your people. And let's all try to pull our pants down today and show everybody what we got. Yeah, I mean, mine is actually a very long process that can take anywhere between 12 and 18 months before I bring somebody on board. But what makes it unique is every one of my producers is validated the day that they walk in. So I don't have any financial risk when I hire a producer. I don't have any financial risk or they don't have any financial risk when they come to work with me. So it's pretty cool. So basically, you know, my business is is highly commercial focused. We write very little personal lines. And of the commercial business we write, we try to do as much as we can with channel partners and outside cold calling than anything else, because the types of accounts that we go after just digital advertising is not going to work nearly as well in the middle market. So we identify channel partners that we want to work with based on who's working with our existing clients. So Mm. when we bring somebody on board, one of the things that I always do through the course of conversation is ask them who their service providers are. Where do they get their payroll? Who handles credit card processing? Where are they buying their office supplies? All of those things. And the reason I do that is because if those people are selling to my client, they're selling to other people who aren't my client. And I want to be able to get into those places. So we'll have a meeting, you know, the, my clients will give me a list. You know, sometimes, you know, my producers will have relationships that they've picked up along the way as well. But we'll sit down, have a cup of coffee and figure out whether or not it makes sense for us to work with this person, just referring business back and forth. There's no, they have no idea that I am now beginning the interview process with them. It's completely secret. Mm -hmm. And so we'll sit down and talk or one of my producers will as well and just decide we're going to have a referral relationship with these people, but it's going to be somewhat formalized in that the reason referral relationships don't work is because half the time they're one-sided and somebody's not delivering. And I want accountability in any relationship that we have. So the deal is that we'll meet once a month for coffee and I'm going to bring two booked appointments with me and they're going to bring two booked appointments with them. That's not, Hey, take David's call if he calls you, or I know this guy that can, you know, help you with your insurance. I want you to meet him if he can fit it in. This is, we have an appointment with a set date and time we're going to walk in and we're going to go on that appointment together. That's great because it allows me to hear how this person interacts with their client. And it allows me to see how they're going to interact with my client, who's their prospect. Mm -hmm. And after three or four months of going down that road, I plant the seed. If I'm interested in having this person eventually migrate over to my firm, I plant the seed with them. And I say something like, you know, you're, you're a really good salesperson. I guess I don't understand why you're limiting yourself to selling payroll because there's only so much income you're going to be able to make doing that. Right. And I just think you're really talented. Why, why payroll? And I'll get the answer. Well, you know, we make a good living. We go out to eat when we want. We take nice vacations. I win a bonus every year, blah, 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 blah. And I let it ride within 24 hours. Every single time I get the phone call or the email, Hey man, what'd you mean? 
what do you mean when you told me you knew something I could do differently? What, what, you know, why do, why do you think payroll is not the best place for me? Then we'll have the conversation and we'll sit down again. And this time I'll bring reports from HubSpot showing what business they've referred into the agency that we've been able to close over that time period. And I'll basically say, look, over the last four months, I'd be interested in seeing what your earnings were in your current job. Because if you worked in my organization, you would have brought in roughly, we'll use 50,000 in revenue as a benchmark, four accounts at 50,000 in revenue a piece, it's $200,000. You would have made 40% of that in four months, which is $80,000. Are you making that much in payroll? And the answer is always no, there's nobody right. in payroll making that every four months. And so I lay it out on the line. Hey, would you like to uh, talk about what it would look like to come work with me so you can make that kind of money? And we get into the back and forth about it. But what happens is we have a, we create the code for the referrals, just like everybody does in their CRM or AMS, I would imagine. And if you're not, you should, but we keep track of that. I ask them what they want and I ask them what they need. I can show them immediately how to get what they need. They're going to have to earn what they want, but we're going to give them a pathway to that as well. When they come on board, it's because they've hit that number. We've tracked their revenue referred in when their annualized revenue based on their commission structure, which is 40% new, 25% renewal, right. is the amount that they need to make the move. We give them the offer to come on board. Now, when they do that, we hand them the book of business that they've referred over the last 12 to 18 months, right? Now, this is where a lot of people, you know, the train falls off the tracks because, Agency principals can't let, I mean, they short circuit when they hear that. They don't want to, they think right. you're giving somebody something you're not. You wouldn't have had that business if they wouldn't have referred it in. And the fact of the matter is, I don't have any issues at all with losing those accounts because they were this person's client before they were mine. So sure. our retention stays exactly where it needs to be, but we don't have a financial risk. There's now, I don't want to say we don't pay a draw because obviously based on how commissions come out in an irregular fashion, you need to give somebody some level of flat income so that they can run their household. But there's really no risk there because we know that at the end of the 12 month time period, there's not going to be any money that's owed back to us based off of what this person's referred in. So it, it takes a lot of the headache out and because it typically takes 12 to 18 months for them to refer enough business in, we have a real good handle on what these people are doing all the time. We know. The cool part is if it gets to that four or five month mark, I don't ever have to plant the seed. If the person's a jerk or I don't like them and I don't want to bring them into my organization, I don't ever have to plant the seed with them. I'll just keep them as a referral partner and call it a day. Right. Let me ask you a question on that. So how do you handle it? Let's say that that CJ is working for the payroll company and he sends you a big, you know, $100,000 account. How do you handle the handover process as it relates to your current team members? Because I'm assuming they're working on that account that was referred over. Is there ever any animosity or friction there from them? No, there's not. I mean, basically, I'm the agent. So for all practical mm -hmm. purposes, from a client-facing situation and even my internal team, it's like it's my account. They would work on it just as if it's mine. When when CJ would come on board, there would be a transition or a handoff. But at that point, we're used to servicing the account. We know what needs to happen. And plus, my team's been through this exercise enough times. It's normal to them now. So so you're working on it too? Oh, I'm handling it. If, if it's my gotcha. relationship, bringing CJ in. And so ultimately, what I want to do, I've never shared this with anybody before. So but what I'd like to do is I'd like to take my guys like Kyle and Raphael that have been with me for a while. And I'd like to let them almost be like sales managers with their own teams underneath them. So they have an incentive to go out and build these channel partner relationships mm -hmm. for themselves, bring producers in and then give them an override to manage them so that I'm not involved a hundred percent of the time. As far as I'm concerned, I've got my army at this point. I don't need to go out and find anybody else because I've got six to eight more producers that are going to come into my agency in the next year to year and a half. And I'm not going to be able to manage any more than that. So I've got to figure out another layer of management and keep it as flat as I can. But I want these other guys to step it up a little bit, have them earn a little more coin for managing a team of people, and then show them how to go out and find that talent, bring them in. Because at some point I'm cashing in my chips and I want them to perpetuate this thing and they need to understand what it looks like from my point of view, just the same as it does from theirs. Hey David, how long does it take your service provider people that you do end up hiring? You know, you, 
you kind of cultivate that relationship over a six-month period of time. When they come in in a new capacity as an insurance agent that you know gets those accounts handed over to them, how long does it take them to really get the insurance industry, passing their exam and, and getting in there and doing that type of work every day? So true story, man, and, and this is not meant to be a shameless plug at all. It, it's far from it, but actually – most people don't realize the whole reason killing commercially do that's my training program that was right. built for my agency. So we actually have cut the curve significantly as far as a sales process standpoint by letting them run through that curriculum. Now, right. what I'm going to say is the same thing I say to everybody else. There is no substitute for getting your rear end kicked on the street for five years. You can't bring somebody in and flatten the curve so much that they're just automatically going to be able to know every single nuance that they need mm -hmm. to know. And I think every agent that comes in needs to have two things. They have need to have a foundational knowledge of insurance that they need to get as quickly as they can. And they have to have a, a sales process that they can implement and get in place as quickly as they can. Now, COVID has done wonders, even for the insurance product knowledge standpoint, because you have people like the National Alliance out there that have had to try and bring people into classrooms for all of their existence, and they can't do that anymore. So I don't know how many people know about this. It seems like every time I talk about it, people have no clue but the National Alliance is selling a membership for like 600 bucks and you can take as many of their classes as you want over the course of a year. So I used to pay almost 500 a module just for my CIC. I've got agents that I know that have paid 600 bucks and just wrapped up their last segment of the CIC in like four months. So if you want somebody to get turbocharged, they need to do that. And then the other thing is, you got to learn your individual carrier stuff and that takes time. I mean, there, mm -hmm. there's no easy way. You can't just plug into the wall and download all this information. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, in our industry, experience is still a huge thing. You can give people the leg up on other people that are in the, in the same stage of their career, but you still have to have experience. And with that as an agency principal, you have to have patience. You need to understand what the behaviors are you're looking for to know that they're going to end up where you want them to be. What about, uh, account managers, people in more of that service role for you, how do you compensate those people? So those people are where I spend my money, right? I mean, there, there is a little bit of risk there, but I don't have a problem with spending money on salary for a good account manager and mm -hmm. also good CSRs. If we're going to bring somebody in and train them up in the industry, right? that's a 15 to 20, $15 an hour job with the ability to move move up higher, but you're going to be building policy three ring binders. You're going to be process learning to process endorsements and vehicle changes and things like that. Mm -hmm. There is no heavy lifting. And so I like to have a healthy mix of people who have a lot of experience and people who have none. I'll never hire a producer who has any experience in insurance. You know, I hate, I know I'm going to make some people upset when I say this, but if you're a producer looking for a job, you ain't a producer. Right. Producers shouldn't be looking, you know, with the, from the account manager perspective, I spend coin there more than I should in some places, but I'm going to tell you what, man, if you want to know how to find them, ask your carrier reps. They know which account managers are pissed off and want to leave. Absolutely. Yeah. Scott and I had this conversation on Thursday. Yep. We were talking about the person that wants to be a producer, but for some reason, the agency that they work at makes them be a CSR. Yep. Never kind of, it never kind of works out if they're looking for a job. I lost one of my account managers last year because, you know, I've talked about this, in great detail on the podcast, but she wanted to be in sales. She was not from a sales standpoint, really a sales oriented type person. And she went somewhere where they promised her that, you know, she worked hard for six months, they'd make her a producer. Now, I don't know if they ever did or not, but that was one of the reasons she left was she wanted to be in sales. And I just knew that she was not going to work out in sales. So CJ, you're the next up to bat, and then we're going to get on to Bradley. What about you, CJ? What, what do you do? How do you pay your people? And I'm going to come back to David, and we're going to talk a little bit towards the end of this podcast about agency ownership and owning your book of business. But before we do, CJ, talk a little bit about how you pay your people, how that's structured. Sure. So uh, I'm a little different than David in that my agency is probably 95% personalized. Right. Um, so we're very different in that way. We do very little commercial 
the way that we pay is part of what got Bradley's attention as to why we're, I'm on this podcast. Uh, we split it right down the middle, right? We've got inside people and we've got outside people. And what does that mean exactly? Sure. Inside sales yeah. versus? Yeah. So my inside people, they get a base salary plus they're getting a little bit of commission. My outside people are 1099. Uh, they, they do their they do their own thing. So my outside people are probably where um, we do things you know, a little more differently. And it, to set the stage for this, I we used to have an office that we had an extra uh, office space in the back that we didn't use. And we rented it out to a health insurance agency. And this health insurance agency would just constantly have this never ending flow of 1099 producers that they had hired. And I, I just was always amazed that how do they find these people willing to do this? No base, no nothing, straight commission. They would literally come in and they'd pound the phones for 10 hours a day, all day. And I was just like, how do they get people to sign up for this? Now, I was offering base salary and things like this, and I couldn't get people in. Um, so we got to talking about it. And one of the problems I see in the insurance industry as a whole, uh, and I understand it, like, don't get me wrong, like, I understand the need for this. But there's like this, when you hire somebody as a 1099 producer, an outside salesperson, there is a big gap a lot of times in the time that you bring that person on to the time that they actually start getting a check, right? Mm -hmm. So like a lot of agencies make you wait until they get paid, right? So like if you write one, you know, November 1, they're not getting a check to like December 15th. And if you're not providing a draw, um, that can be, you know, kind of like David said, you know, they've got to provide for their family. Like, so what we did was... Um, we created what we call our real-time pay. So essentially what we do is we took, you know, $5,000 and put it in what we called an escrow account to get this started. Uh, now we've got, you know, way more in there. But essentially, if you issue a policy between Thursday of the week prior and Wednesday of the current week, we pay the commissions for that on every Friday. So essentially, these producers are getting paid as they write business, even though the agency hasn't been paid. So right. essentially all we're doing is, is we have an escrow account, we're paying out of it. And then when we get paid, we put money back in it. And it's just a, it's a circular. Uh, when we first did it, I had a hundred different agents tell me it was an absolutely horrible idea. They couldn't believe we'd do that. What about the chargebacks on and on and on and on. Uh, we're about a year and a half in now and I've got six producers on that uh, payment arrangement and it's worked out really, really well. How do you make sure that you're meeting the 23 or 24 guidelines by the Internal Revenue Service that mandate that this person truly is a 1099 contractor because I've talked with larger agencies than mine before that have tried the 1099 thing, but it's so hard to make sure you're hitting all those guidelines. Yeah, so, so basically for us, you know, we have no requirements for them whatsoever. Right. Um, they are completely the, their own thing. We don't set hours. We don't have times that they have to be in the office. We don't, nothing along those lines. All we do is we pay when they sell a policy. Right. It, it's, a, it's as simple as that. Uh, and we don't overcomplicate that. You know, we don't, I don't even require them to be at sales meetings. I, they, a lot of them come because they want to, um, but right. we don't require them to. So yeah, they, you, they are literally under no strings attached. You can't require them. If you require exactly. them. To be at a sales meeting, you just broke the 1099 rule. But, hey, uh, are the 1099 people, the outside people, are they, they're all licensed, and I guess they're doing that in conjunction with another job or career. Is that right, or are they just doing it almost like a real estate agent? Almost like a real estate agent, and that's kind of what we based our concept on. So we pay them you know, 80% of, of new business, and then we pay them 50% of the renewal, uh, and right. then my team internally services it. So gotcha. all they do is sell all day long. And you said you pay them, what, 80% new? What, what was the renewal? 50% renewal. 50% renewal. Mm -hmm. And so far over the past year, year and a half, that's worked really well for you. Yeah, it's been awesome. The only exceptions to the rule is we don't do the real-time pay on anything commercial or any life products, just simply because of the, the length of time it takes in underwriting and things like that. But other than that, yeah, we pay – we have not had any issues. The, I guess the only other caveat to that is we have some carriers that pay like as they're paid. So we, we set those up to where they get, they get a monthly payout on those. So they don't get the full amount up front if we're not getting paid full amount. So I always just tell them that they're paid as we're paid. 
how yeah. difficult is it for that to be kept up with? Because I'm assuming you're not doing it, right? No, I am not. Uh, at first, it was a disaster. Uh, you know, one of those, I, man, I'm not sure what we did here. Uh, our my, my wife is actually our accountant for the agency. And uh, she is absolutely fantastic at putting systems in place that are replicatable. So she went through and she's finally got it perfected now to where we have a system that essentially we know uh, what date and how much we paid on every single file so that we know we can we can circle back because agency management systems are designed to calculate that stuff, but they're only designed to calculate it based off of, you know, normal paying when you're paying people, you know, um, 30 or 45 days. I was going to say, I was going to say they're only designed to calculate it badly. Yeah. Well, that's true too, (laughs) depending on the management system. So we, that is a, something that we built out in-house to keep up with. It's not bad when you've only got one or two, but when you start getting four five, six, it starts becoming a, a little bit more complicated. Well, hello there. Guys, excuse me for interrupting your regularly scheduled podcast, but I'm here today to get you out of aggregator and cluster jail. This may be the most important message I've ever delivered on the Insurance Guys podcast. Guys, are you a member of a cluster or an aggregator? Does your contract have exit fees, termination payments, buyback provisions? It's time to get your freedom back and do what we did here at iProtect Insurance, join the AC, the future of aggregators in our industry. Best decision we've ever made, guys. Best decision we've ever made. No entry fees, small $200 a month membership fee, over 50 plus carriers for direct appointments. And by the way, new ones coming on board each and every month. You keep 100% of your commissions, profit sharing every year. Guys, we have made in the last two years, each year, our agency has made over $100,000 in profit sharing. Here's the best part, guys. And this is the part I'm the most passionate about. No termination or exit fees. You give the AC 60 days notice and you're free. You go get direct appointments wherever you want. There's no buyback provisions, no exit clauses. Guys, if you're a member of another aggregator and you have termination fees, buyback provisions, exit clauses, every single policy you write, you're digging that hole just a little bit deeper. And one day you're not going to be able to get out of it. It's going to be too much. You're going to be taking out a second mortgage on your home to try to get out of a cluster group. Unbelievable. Guys, go to AC Free. Dot org. That's acfree.org and register. Find out why over 650 agencies and $3 billion in premium have chosen the AC. And guys, here's the best part. But wait, there's more. Mention the Insurance Guys podcast when you talk to these guys and you get six months. That's six months of no membership fee just by mentioning the Insurance Guys podcast. Go today, www.acfree.org, and let me help you get your freedom back. Have a great day. Hey, hey, CJ, let's talk for just a minute, and then we're going to go to Bradley, and then I'll do mine as well. But what, uh, what are you paying your inside people and your account managers? Yeah. So inside people, and I'm one of those, I am very, very strict about one thing in our office, Uh, salespeople sell and service people service, and there's no mixing between the two. I think that those personality types are very different. Uh, Mm -hmm. A salesperson is not good at doing service. Therefore, I don't want them to. And a service person is typically not overly fantastic at sales. So what we'll do there is our inside people get a base commission and are a base pay. And then everybody gets uh, new and renewal commission on anything they sell. What's their typical base up in the Nashville area that you'd pay an experienced personal lines agent that for whatever reason, either they're unhappy where they are, or could be a number of things, but you end up them falling in your lap. What would you pay in terms of base salary for somebody like yeah, that? Base, yeah. Base is somewhere going to be somewhere between 30 and 50, depending on how good they are. 
and really it's not even good. I look for experience and I love what David said a second ago about he's not worried about insurance experience. Uh, right. I'm the same way. I'm worried about people experience. Like right. how good are you with people? Because in our business, uh, knowing insurance is important, but being good with people is probably the most important attribute somebody can have. Um, because if you're good with people and people like you, they're, they're much more willing to put up with you having to, uh, you know, go to an underwriter and ask a question rather than just knowing it off the top of your head. So personality type is huge. Obviously, if they're making a base salary, they're not making renewals. But what about new business commission for those people? So, so shockingly enough, I actually do pay them renewal as well okay. uh, on okay. the stuff that they write, but it's a much smaller amount. We do like 25% new and then 10% on the renewal. So yeah. they're not getting rich off the renewal, but it's, it'll help them. Uh, you know, typically what most of them do is they'll take that 10% and they use it in like for like their IRA money or whatever they want to do with that. What about account managers? How many account managers do you have that, that are working in that office? So I guess I merge the, the account manager and customer service role together. We have three. Okay. What, what do you pay a good one? Somebody that comes in there and gets it done every day. They all fall in that, that scale that we were, I just gave you. Uh, every, get, I try not to have a lot of variance in how I pay people. If you get right. in here and you're a rock star and you're great, you're going to get paid well for it. But I kind of try to start everybody around the same uh, playing field. Because right. in my experience, Scott, I mean, you've probably seen this too. I don't view 25 years experience in insurance a good attribute, depending on where it is, what, what you did. If you were an independent agency and you're running the agency for 25 years and you did all that, that's great. But what I typically find is that it's not that person and, you know, they've been somewhere else or, or whatever right. the, the case may be. That, now, there are exceptions to that, obviously. Um, we've had great people at our office that have been elsewhere for many, many, many years. But typically, I try to stay away from that as much as possible. What about uh, Christmas bonus? How do you handle Christmas bonuses? Yeah, we just pay out based off time that they've been at the at the agency. Uh, right. We don't do anything super fancy there. I saw your uh, saw another post the other day in Insurance Soup about that specific topic, and that was a, a dog fight in the comments there. <laughs> so, uh, which which was which was good fun. But yeah, no, we we just do that one based off of longevity. We want our people's focus to be on that commission number, yeah. whatever, whatever yeah. they can get with commission. So, Bradley Flowers, you're up to bat. What you got, brother? So I am. Uh, I don't have one set way of of doing things. I try to tailor it to the person to add to to what CJ was saying about insurance experience. I will say that I know agencies very close to me that every person that they fired has had insurance experience, and every person that they've kept has been brand new. So I think there is certainly some validity to that. Uh, we've had certainly some exceptions to that rule. Typically, what we do for producers is I have two different comp plans that are kind of like my baselines and then we can adjust up or down depending on the individual. We do a base plus commission depending on the base anywhere from 24,000 to 35, somewhere in that range. And then we do a split that, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer in merit-based pay. I'm a big believer in giving someone, even if they're a true service person, some sort of incentive because I prior jobs, prior agencies have seen the bad side of non-merit-based pay. And the way our commission works for the salary plus commission producer is it's a 30% split on what the agency brings in. That's kind of like the base levels, 30% split. If we've got a bundled policy, let's say it's a personal lines, we've got a bundled policy, an auto bundled with a home, they get another 10% on top of that. If they hit $40,000 in total production in a given month, they get another 10%. If they hit $50,000, they get a $500 bonus. If they hit $75,000, they get a $750,000 and $100,000. You, you get the idea. Right. That's, that's typically how we do our salary plus commission producers. So they have an opportunity to really put some production on the books and increase that percentage. And my goal, and I tell every person this that comes in with the salary plus commission comp plan, is my goal is for them to write enough production, write enough business year one, that starting year two, they can actually go to a commission only plan and the renewal percentage, the renewal commission pays their salary. Right. That, that's, that's where I want to get them to. 
So when you said 30% split, basically they're making a base salary that could be anywhere from 24 up to, I mean, it could be as high as possibly as high as 45, 35, 45. And then they get 30% new business commission with, depending on how much they sell that month, that number can keep going up and up and up. Correct. Yeah. Correct. In the event, I, I don't, I love CJ's. CJ's way of paying people the next week. Unfortunately, we're not in a position to do that just yet. Um, but one thing that I do do, we have several carriers that pay as earned. I go ahead and pay that up front. I just eat that the first couple months. Right. And at 30%, I mean, what are you losing really? So beyond that, sorry, I lost my train of thought there for a second. But Account managers, have, account managers, then, what, what are you doing there? Same, same comp plan, same exact comp plan. What about, because I but, want, but you can't, I want pay, it, you I can't want pay them percentage, I mean, uh, commission. Do you do any reward? I, I think everybody in this building is a salesperson at some point. To, to some oh, degree. I like that. I, I don't need to write that it, shit I, down. I want, I want an account manager discovering, you know, if they're looking at an account, I want them looking for an opportunity. Okay. And And, and the good news is at 30%, let's say they're working on another producer's account at 30%. That's that still works out. The math of that works out to where we can still pay the person who brought the account on board and nobody, you know, there's no, he said, she said kind of stuff. Right. That makes sense. Right. So that's what we do for salary plus commission. Our my other comp plan, which is really open for interpretation. And we have given several offers out recently that, that are an alteration of this is we do a 70, 30 split commission only year one year like two that. is 60 40 year three is 50 50 and beyond because i really want them to get down and and really crank up the engine that first year mm-hmm. but what i've been doing is let's say we have a really really good year one i will give them the option to lock in at 60 40 right to where that doesn't decrease beyond that um, is that plan perfect? No, I don't think so. But people have seemed to like it and do pretty well. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm okay. I mean, basically, if I W-2 somebody in year one, they're getting 70, I'm getting 30. I'm basically making 5 to 10% after I pay payroll taxes and right. all that, if that. Right. You know, and, there, and there's even been some deals where I've lost money. And then the, the key, I think, to all of this is our agency's goals, everybody's goal is $50,000 in new business production a month, every single producer. And we've increased and decreased some based on prior activity, but going in, that's what I want everybody to do. And, you know, for the most part, I mean, you're not going to hit it every month, but people are going to get close pretty much every month. And then the kind of the secret sauce too is, especially for the salary producers is we have a minimum expectation. Yeah. And that minimum expectation is a number that, and depending on the salary they're getting, let's say that it's 20,000. I'm or twenty four thousand. I'm going to make their minimum expectations so that after the agency split on their minimum expectation, I'm breaking even, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. to speak. I mean, obviously, you still got opportunity cost. You got somebody in a chair. You got heating and air conditioning, but just salary plus com- salary factored in with commission. We're basically breaking even for right. the most part. Right. And that's their minimum expectation. And I tell everybody, you know, it's not you hit it one month, you're fired. It's not you hit you don't hit it two months, three months. It's not it's it's just that if there's a consistent amount of time where you're not hitting this goal, we need to sit down and look at what's the reason why you're not hitting that goal. Right. And I've had some people that you know, in our agency we get a lot of referrals, much like CJ does, much like David does, and I don't write any insurance. I divvy out all of my referrals. I really feel like a producer is gonna write 15 to 20 grand a month extra than they would somewhere else just by working here, just by osmosis. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had some people take advantage of that in the way of, Hey, that's a $20,000 bump on my production, on my commission. And I've had some people look at it as, well, that's all I'm going to write. And some of those people aren't here anymore, you know? So it, you just, you have to find the right, the right fit. And I'll tell you, man, we've, we've been through, a lot of folks since we opened in two years and, and we have right now the best team I think I've ever had. Good. What we're doing is working. Is it perfect? No. I like David and CJ's comp plans a lot better. <laughs> um, and then, you know, beyond that, I mean, we get into book ownership. I don't have anybody here who has book ownership, but we've had conversations around that. I really believe that it's necessary to keeping really good producers long-term. Right. So we've had those conversations. We just haven't done any of that yet. 
And we're currently, I mean, I'm looking right now for somebody in Birmingham, which is four hours north of me, that's going to basically have book ownership day one. So right. I'm willing to do that kind of stuff. Can I make a painfully obvious comment real quick? <clears throat> because this is the one... This is the one thing that I think agents like bicker and fight over more than are you going to be open the day before Thanksgiving, right? I mean, we're going to take holiday hours and throw that out the window because that's the number one topic by a long shot. But here's the deal. You've heard three different people talk about how they comp their people. It's the same money, folks. Some people might not agree with the fact CJ offers 80%, but does that make him an idiot because he's doing it? No, not at all. The difference is you might be willing to spend that same money in a salary. And if those people don't meet that, you've actually lost more money than the guy paying 80% to people to produce. It's like the whole management, what management systems should I go on conversation? It's crazy though. If you step back and you back into the math on all of this, we probably are all paying our people the same amount of money within a certain tolerable percentage yet you go out there on social media and you open up this can of worms in the conversation and you'll see everything from people paying 80, 90% new business to people paying salary and no commission to people paying commission only. It would be interesting to step back and see two things. Number one, at the end of the year, what do those W-2s or 1099s look like in terms of the earnings and how much cash has physically left your agencies? That's number one. And then the, the second piece of it is how many people actually hit their goals? right? I mean, uh, and then the third one, I'm gonna throw you a third one. Draw a line down the center of the paper and all the people that are complaining about the more creative comp plans. I'm real interested in knowing the revenue size of those agencies versus the ones that have figured out another way to do it because I have to believe to be creative and go after talent they otherwise might not be able to afford end up with a larger agency and a more profitable agency in the long run. And I can tell you right now, I'd love for you to think that I'm the smartest person in the world because of the comp plan that I've come up with and my ability to minimize risk. But there's two things you have to know. Number one, I'm a risk manager. And number two, I was dirt poor when I launched my agency. I had to find a way to bring people in. Unless you've lived off a of box macaroni and cheese and raw man noodles in your life. And every time you hear that beep, beep, beep in front of your house, you think it's somebody backing up to repo your car. You ain't been poor enough to come up with a creative comp plan. <laughs> I love it. Hey, David, what are you paying out? What do you pay your people for Christmas bonuses? You and Bradley? Thousand bucks across the board. That's that's kind of where I am too, depending on production. Yeah, and, and what I'm, I'm going to tell you, um, one of the things that I do to fund that is we don't budget for any of our profit sharing. So the money just comes directly from that. It's not out of the agency budget and we always have some left over. I don't, I, I'm not getting profit sharing yet. So I right. Well, hey, I know we don't have much time left. Let me blow through mine real quick. Now, Bradley, you and David and CJ, I, I think it's important that we also tell our audience here today, you know, Bradley and I live in Alabama. So the numbers that we're discussing today, these aren't New York and California numbers. Uh, you know, if you live down in Florida, like David does, I, I don't know what the averages are, but I know that there are ways to find those answers out. And, and so that you can be in a, at a starting place that's uh, reasonable in terms of what you pay your people. So the number that I have that, that, that you know, I kind of just start with before, before anything else in Alabama is $35,000 a year. I do offer dental and health care to my people, but account managers with my agency start at $35,000. Okay, uh, that that's a that's a starting point. Now I have a account manager that just got an eight thousand dollar raise. Why did she just get an eight thousand dollar raise? Because she damn well deserves it. Because she is a five tool player and she is a stud and she can do it all. And so, when you have those kind of people, you by God better figure out some way to pay them to keep them because they are toting your water. And when you're doing whatever the hell it is you're doing, you have got to have great people. Uh, our personal lines agents, depending on experience at the low end in my agency, start at 35000 If you've got 10 or 15 years experience, you probably are going to start out more at the 45000 level. And with that, we also have, they don't make uh, renewal commissions at all. But new business commissions start at 
30% and then I give them a reasonable goal each month to hit. If they go up to 30, I believe it's 30,000 in premium in a month, anything over that, they go to 40%. Anything over 50,000 a month, they go to 50% new business commissions. The last personal lines agent I hired was Justin Miller. I started him at $45,000 a year in salary with that tiered commission schedule. Justin Miller is an absolute freaking beast. He, he can very easily average $50,000 a year in new business commissions. Plus he helps me out tremendously on the technology side. He is worth every penny of that and probably more. Uh, my largest producing agent in my office makes more money than I do. He is on a, uh, he gets paid equal to 25% of his previous year's renewal commissions. That starts over every January the 1st. He also makes 50% on new business commissions. He averages gross revenue on his W-2 averages around $150,000 to $175,000 a year in salary plus commissions. And David, if you remember, he's the one you and I talked about, I guess about three or four months ago now. Uh, that pay will change starting January the 1st based on some things that David and I talked about. So he's going to be going on straight renewal and uh, new business commissions. But here's where I'm going to throw a monkey wrench and half the people listening to this are going to drive off the road in a ditch and have to file a damn collision claim on their vehicle. Uh, I am also in the process of giving him ownership, not in his book of business, not in his book of business. I'm in the process of giving him ownership in I protect insurance and financial services agency. Now, they, they ain't many, they ain't many, they ain't many sons of bitches willing to do that. If you think, if you, they're just not, but he deserves that. He is an absolute animal and he's been with me since day number one. And I consider him more of a business partner than I do an agent because he could very easily walk out the door and go sell and be a principal agent on his own. He's that good. Justin Miller's that good. They're both principal. I have two principal agents in my agency besides myself. And a lot of you may have those out there, but uh, that's kind of what we pay. Our account managers start at $35,000. Director of first impressions. I start them out at $12 an hour. If they are jam up, Paula Dean and Sweet Tea can do a lot of other things, make our clients feel, you know, warm and fuzzy when they call, then that's pretty quickly going to go to $15 an hour um, and, and up from there. But, uh, and, and here's, the, here's the last thing I'll say, and then I want to go back to David Carruthers and talk about uh, perpetuation planning. Um, for 12 years, I've been paying every one of my people $500 a year for their Christmas bonus. It was just every year, $500, $500, $500, $500. Everybody gets a $500 bonus. I typically do that with a Visa or MasterCard gift card for tax purposes. And we, we can get into that later, but $500 a year to each one of those. This year is the first year that I am actually gonna go more of the CJ Hudson pillar uh, route and they're gonna be paid based on time and service. Starting baseline, lowest that somebody will make is 500. And then, the, and then if you've been with an agency five to 10 years, you're gonna make 750. If you've been with an agency longer than 10 years, that goes to 1,000 and so forth and so on. So that's kind of what I pay my people. Um, I don't know that I can be any more clear about that than what I just was, but David, let's talk a little bit real quick about perpetuation planning because you and I got into this one day for about 20 minutes and I love some of the things you had to say. Yeah, sure thing. You know, the other thing I didn't leave uh, or I left out when I was talking about comp plan is I do have a bonus for production tiers too. So if they write 150,000 new business revenue in a year, I write them a check for 5% of the booked revenue, not earned as it's booked, I'll take the risk on it, not really worried about 
that money disappearing because we're typically writing accounts that are very, very sticky. If they hit 250,000 in new business revenue, they get a, a check for 10% of that amount as lump sum bonus. So um, that helps us to get production to a completely different level. But, you know, every successful agency that I've been affiliated with as an employee or that I've heard uh, people speak from has a good perpetuation plan in place. And that plan involves ownership of the team. Now, where I differ a little bit is that I want every employee in my organization to have a path to equity in the organization. If you want people to think like a business owner, you need to put them in a position to be a business owner and to think that way and to learn from those mistakes. So for the old school agents out there, here's something I've been saying for the last six months, and I'm probably going to say it for at least another six months. But number one, you've got a generation coming in behind us that is a heck of a lot more technologically savvy. They communicate differently. They speak a complete different language than we do. You need to stop controlling and start collaborating and ask questions and listen to these people because this is who's going to be responsible for you getting dividends if you turn this thing over to them down the road. I have it set up very simply. At $250,000 in revenue, they have 50% ownership in their book. I get first right of refusal to be able to buy that should they decide they're going to leave. At $500,000, they have 100% ownership of their book. Same first right of refusal for me to purchase it if they ever choose to leave. And then at a million dollars in revenue, they have the ability to convert that book ownership into enterprise equity in my agency. And I've allocated 40% of the overall value of my agency to equity for the team members. That doesn't mean that when Kyle hits his million dollars, I'm giving him 40% of the agency because that's what's available. He will get a pro rata share of what the value of his book is to the rest of the overall revenue for the agency into that 40%. And I'll continue to own the rest, but I'm not ever going to be diluted more than 60%. And the thought process behind that is really simple. I am so sick and tired of hearing agents out there come into these groups and talk about how they had all the risk and they built the agency on their back. Here's a fun fact, people. You didn't do it. You didn't do it by yourself. That's like, that's like Obama saying the government built my business for me, right? That's not going to happen. You have to reward these people or they're going to go build somebody else's agency for them. You didn't build it by yourself. You may have given them a platform, but they went out and produced that business. They retained those accounts give them the ability to have some ownership in the overall enterprise. Get, what do you think my turnover is on producers since inception of my agency? Zero percent. I haven't lost anybody. Actually, I take that back. I lost one and there were extenuating circumstances that had nothing to do with that. But I literally have lost one person in-, in Oh, I wanna go back, years. David, because you, you were spitting gold right there. $250,000 is your first marker. Now, guys, listen to me. I'm going to say this slower than David did so you can catch it, okay? That's an agency revenue. Now, what if it takes them three years to get to 250000 in agency revenue? At that point in time, they would have 50% ownership of their book, correct? If it took them three years, they wouldn't be around. But, yeah, that in theory, that would work. Right. And then once they get to the $1 million in agency revenue – you're giving them not just ownership in their book, but they're going to have ownership in the agency itself. And I assume based on the fact that you've got a block of 40% stock sitting there, then you're probably going to have a calculation that's used to give that person X percent or X number of shares in the agency. I don't know what that, how much of a percentage that is for that person. Are you, able to share that what that is? Yeah, so basically we take the value of whatever their book is and then we divide it into the, the amount of the overall revenue for the agency and we get that percentage and they get that percentage of the 40%. So listen, a couple of things. Number one, agents, we bitch and moan all the time. We wanna be professionals. We wanna be looked at as professionals. We wanna be treated like accountants and attorneys. Please, will you show me any law firm or any accounting firm that does not have a path to partnership for their people. Why do we wanna be treated like them but not play by the same rules? Number two, and equally as, equally as important, 
to that is I put that 250,000 in just to show them something achievable, right? Most agencies that I've seen, it's a $500,000 benchmark and then the million. The 250 is something that I did just because I wanted them to get a piece of something. If they're around and they're 250, they're not going anywhere after that. Shoot, half their competition's been in an agency for 25 years and they're only doing 500,000 in revenue because they got comfortable and quit producing. The other thing though is if you wanna put plans like this in place, the one thing that I did, I ran a business into the ground in my early 20s and I told myself it would never happen again. My first employee was my CFO. The second thing that I did was I hired a certified exit planner for my company. They mapped out everything for my exit. I know the number when I'm leaving. I know the architecture of how it's gonna work. And all of this stuff is being put in place by somebody who does nothing but that. Don't try and figure it out by yourself. Putting yourself in a lawsuit. Don't do it. Now, David, I had one last question for you. And I want all these insurance agents to know this. So we've all seen the independent agent that, that, that does everything on a handshake. And then three years later has this, this amnesia where they don't, they don't remember having these conversations. I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't remember us talking about that to add to what you're saying, David. Uh, I would assume you believe as well as me that if you're going to do all of what we just talked about and what David was very uh, clear and succinct about, it needs to be in contractual writing. Would you agree with that, David? Yeah, 100%. Yeah, especially on the producer side, because they're not the one that's going to get amnesia, right? No, I mean, listen, I've been in that role before, right? That's exactly why my agency's set up the way that it is. I had an equity deal on Handshake and that amnesia was not getting any better after eight years. That's the whole reason Florida Risk Partners even exists. So, but the deal is it's gotta be formalized. Every one of our people gets an offer letter, they get an employment agreement and it gets the uh, necessary exhibits on the back end that illustrates everything that we've talked about. And you've gotta know your numbers too, as a producer. You know, a story I've never told, which is really short, is I once had $3.14 in annualized premium. So $3.14 annually cost me a $10,000 bonus. I didn't know my numbers. I thought I was there and I wasn't. This was when I was a producer. You should have bought an umbrella for yourself, man, and you'd have been done. I could have done anything, but by the time I found out, it was too late. I think that's incumbent on the agencies, though, too, though. It is. They told me I had it. Yeah. How many agencies don't provide good reporting to their, their team? You, you know, you only, you only know as much as your, yeah, you only know as much as your agency is willing to tell you. And that's one of the most frustrating things as a producer is having to go back every month. I mean, my producers get book of business and commissions reports every single month so they can see what they've booked that month, what they've booked year to date, what they've earned commissions that month, what they've earned in commissions year to date. So there never should be a, a surprise at the end of the year. And I can tell you right now, in my entire career of 17 years, I don't know that I've ever printed out a report on producer commissions or book of business from an agency management system that it was right the first time. It's never right. No. Ours is the same way. Uh, you got to double and triple check it. Tell them one more time, David, the two things that you give your producers every single month. Monthly commission report, which to me would just be like breathing. I mean, you got to do that. And then book of business commission year to date. Is that correct? I give them a book of business report that shows business booked for the month and business okay. booked year to date. And they get their commission report for the month right. and year to date. And this goes back to when I was a producer. I just kept a really simple Excel spreadsheet. Every time I wrote an account, I'd list it on my spreadsheet. I'd list right. the amount of expected revenue that was booked on it. And then every time I would get a producer commission report, I would enter the amount of commission attributed to that account in the monthly column for that account. It would tell me the receivable that the agency had against me for the remaining commissions that hadn't been paid yet. If right. I booked a piece of business in three months in, I hadn't seen any revenue flow. I knew I needed to go to accounting and ask a question. Yeah, it may be a month, two months delayed, but by the time you get to that third month, if you haven't been paid, there's a real good chance something's happened. It's either gotten allocated to a different producer. We haven't gotten the check, the check, you know, it, it could be any number of things, but it right. is incumbent on the producer. If you're getting those reports, just do something simple, like set up that spreadsheet and you'll always know where you stand and where your money is missing that, that you're looking for. It, it's really simple we, to track it. Yeah, we do the same thing. We have a, uh, and ours is even more elementary than yours, 
but I have all of our producers keep a monthly sales tracker that they just write down that same information you're talking about. And that way, when they get their monthly commission report, if they have questions or they don't feel like they got paid on an account, they can get with myself or Justin Miller and say, hey, tell, them, tell me what happened here. I think that's important. You need to do that. <laughs> We, we do that. We do that as well. I'll, I'll say something else just from a motivational standpoint. Uh, ours, you know, our sales tracker is we use Google Sheets instead of just, you know, an Excel right. sheet. And my entire team has access to it. So right. we have a essentially competition going on naturally within the agency where people can see if you're having a good month or a bad month, they know it. Uh, and they can either lift you up or they can compete with you to see who wins. Hey, CJ, it's funny that you say that because after I said what I just said, I thought, Oh shit! We just changed over to Google Sheets to do that like a month ago. So it's <laughs> literally we've we've implemented that like last month. So I'm proud uh, of you, Scott. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Google Google Sheets is so much better than Microsoft Excel because you have the integration capabilities. Am I wrong in that? I, I don't feel like I mean Google Sheets is amazing. It's uh I would say it's probably my most used program in my business just across the board for all kinds of different things. Everything from you know, the sales trackers to marketing list to whatever. Most of them originate in that platform. Hey guys, listen to me, CJ. I owe you cash and prizes will be coming your way shortly for helping me a couple of weeks ago. David Carruthers, I will see you in Key West, Florida in the not too distant future. We're gonna drink umbrella drinks. Bradley Flowers, I love you, but I have got to get off this podcast right now and uh, take my wife to her first therapy session where they're going to teach her how to walk again. So I've got to run. Guys, remember what I always say, rewards come from action, not discussion. Get your ass out from behind that desk. Stop being cheap. Stop telling people to use both sides of the manila folder, which I actually left an agency one time because the owner got mad at me for not using both sides of the manila folder. And I knew at that very moment that he was gonna be too damn cheap to ever pay me what I was worth. I love all of you. Fight good business for the agencies that you represent and fight good business for the companies that you represent. Bradley Flowers, I love you, brother. Thanks, man. David Carruthers, see you soon, brother. Looking forward to it, man. All right, CJ, then call us, okay? I got you. Guys, you are listening to the Insurance Guys podcast, and we'll see you back here real soon. Thanks,